Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hi there, I'm Jason Schulman, and this is New Books in Australian and New Zealand Studies. My guest today is Mahal Cram. She's a sociologist and researcher at the University of Technology, Sydney. She's here to talk about her new book, Heroes, Villains, and the Muslim Exception, Muslim and Arab Men in Australian Crime Drama. It's published by Melbourne University Publishing in December 2017. Mahal, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Mahal, why study popular culture? This book uh, looks at visual modes of storytelling. Why is it important to look at you know, popular forms of culture? Um, So I think the thing with popular culture is it's often overlooked as a kind of legitimate study of the way that the world works or or a kind of not really a way that we can learn much about the world that we live in. But I think um, popular culture really manages to capture uh, particular times and particular places very nicely. And it kind of gives us a nice insight into the mindset of of people at any particular time. So I think one of the things that I really loved about looking at popular culture, one of the things I still love about looking at popular culture, is that it gives us an insight into the way that we see particular groups of people. And so in this case, how we see um, Arab and Muslim men at this particular point in time, looking at um, the context of increasing Islamophobia in Australia, heightened securitization, um, an increase in surveillance because of the war on terror, um, and all all that um, kind of stuff. So I think... Yeah, that, that's basically what I think. I think it captures that stuff very nicely and it allows us to be able to interrogate the power dynamics of those relationships and, and to understand who the players are, I think, as well. You write that fictional texts are always read against a backdrop of historical and current politics. So can you tell us a little bit about what time period you wanted to focus on? And, and, and you mentioned a little bit, well, what's going on that kind of sparked these fictional representations? Yeah, so I basically look at the period from 2000 onwards. So these texts were made in 2000, between 2007 and 2011. And I look at three separate case studies. But I suppose the thing that sets the context is looking anything that happened from 9-11 onwards. So in Australia, we the uh, repercussions of 9-11 were really felt by both the Muslim community, but also the wider community more generally. Um, and then we had in 2001, we had a series, oh, sorry, in 2000 as well, sorry, at the, um, at the time of the Olympics, we had a series of gang rapes um, committed by a group of Arab men who were really criminalized. I mean, it was a very criminal act, but who also that crime was very racialized and lots of um, young men who weren't involved in that crime then bore the brunt of the prejudice that arose because of the reporting of that particular case um, in 2001. And so then it, it, to add to that, we also had... The, what we call the Tampa crisis in 2001, which was um, a group of asylum seekers coming to Australia's shores by boat, but also not being welcomed. So Australia trying to turn those boats around and not wanting them to land um, on Australian shores. And then the subsequent demonization of those asylum seekers and linking them to being potential terrorists. So there's a whole story around that. 
So basically the Cronulla riots was literally a violent um, encounter that happened on Cronulla Beach between where where groups of Cronulla residents, well, they were described as Cronulla residents, but they came from various parts of Australia, but were basically coded as being white, um, attacked anyone who looked of Middle Eastern appearance, and they were um, beating them quite brutally. But also the government response to that was then to deny that that had any racial element to it. And so these things kind of set the scene for what happens in these uh, case studies that I'm looking at. And they're all discussing either directly or indirectly the effects that these events have had on men from um, Middle Eastern backgrounds, for lack of a better term, but specifically Arab and Muslim-looking men. The first chapter gives us a lot of that background on these common stereotypes that you look at, and a key player in all this is, is the news media. So, so what role has the news media played in kind of painting kind of a static picture of the Middle Eastern male, uh, you know, reflective of the images outlined in that chapter? Yeah, so they played a very important role, particularly in the reproduction of images. So they really play into the Orientalist kind of archetype of Arab men as violent, aggressive, um, rapists, terrorists, criminals, thugs, gang members. You know, whenever we see a group of Middle Eastern men reported on in the news, it's always in this context of a gang. And and we see this with different groups around the world as well. So I know that this is not a, a new phenomenon. But I think that looking at it through the lens of that very problematic Arab man who is so, so it's not just about them being criminals, but there's also that very kind of patriarchal element of these men are oppressive to their own women, number one, but also are out to to harm or in some way, um, you know, hit on or flirt with white women, right? So, it, so there's a gendered element that comes into it as well, where we have that very traditionally orientalist notion of white men coming in to save white women from brown men. Oh, and brown women from brown men as well. So that, that becomes a very important notion that the media really plays upon. And, and, and we see this time, repeated time and time again in the news media. There was a case, um, a couple of years ago where a journalist, a kind of, you know, very outspoken, more right-wing journalist wrote an article about uh, using a woman as a case study who was was saying that she had been raped by a group of Arab men. And now the story, obviously, he did not fact-check that story. Lots of the facts didn't check out. But he published that story anyway. And, you know, people took that to be a sign that the Orientalist image of Arab and Muslim men is so deeply ingrained in our psyche that as a society, we don't even question the assumptions of those stories. We don't even question the facts of those stories because we already assume them to be true. So um, that that was a real telling um, point, I guess. But, but, but then one that I don't think was necessarily interrogated very well by wider society. And so you still have these images that are, you know, this is years on, but these images are still being reproduced. Mm-hmm. So the book sets out in detail uh, the limits of the representation of Arab and Muslim men uh, in Australian film and television, and you focus specifically on the genre of fictional crime drama. So wh- why that genre in particular? Yeah, so <laughs> so I focus on the um, genre mostly because that's what's available, right? So when we're looking at representations of Arab and Muslim men, we're seeing them described in this context, and I think one that's that's a very telling sign in itself. So we're looking at very clear ideas around good and bad, and so you always have a kind of villain and a good guy, and it's interesting to see 
who fits on which side of the spectrum. Um, I think these case studies do kind of try to blur the lines around uh, crime drama. And maybe you you leave maybe feeling um, some kind of sympathy or empathy towards the protagonists who aren't always doing the right thing necessarily, but you can understand their motivations for why they do what they do. I think, yeah, the fact that these are these are the predominant images at the moment and that representations of Arab Muslim men are coming to us in these forms tells us something about the way that society is viewing these men and the way that they're seen to fit into a more broader understanding of whether they're kind of Australian or un-Australian, whether they're the enemy or whether they're kind of with or against us. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. You look at Australian film and television. Is there something uniquely Australian about your story? If you had done a study of Arab and Muslim men in Hollywood productions, for instance, would it have been different? Um, that's a, that's an interesting question because I think that in, there are probably a lot of similarities. But I think one of the things that is very uniquely Australian about this is also the class dynamics. So very often we're presented, so in one of the case studies, we're presented with a, a man who's in his 30s, he's a police officer, he's really acquired quite a bit of capital, both cultural capital as kind of whiteness, but also he's quite educated. Um, he knows how to to work the system, so to speak, and that he knows how to operate as a Muslim and Arab police officer in this very particular structure. But then you contrast it with the other two examples that I look at, which is young men, one who's a teenager still at school and one who is in his 20s, who haven't acquired uh, whiteness as any kind of capital, but actually do not have money. So they're not middle class young men. These are working class men. And I think that particular um, kind of mix of Arab men as Arab Muslim men as working class versus the middle class narrative, which is very aspirational, is quite um, quite reflective of what it's like for these men in Australia. And, And the way that that Arabness in a working class context or that Muslimness in a working class context is really demonized. The only Arab or Muslim that is palatable to, to us in Australia more broadly is one who is very middle class, who has acquired some kind of, you know, middle class understanding of the way the world works and moves through the world in that way. And so that, that acquisition is, is very powerful and it comes across in these case studies where you see, and, and I didn't do this on purpose, but it's just the way that these um, kind of case studies pan out where you look at someone who is still in high school and you look at a young man in his early 20s and then you look at one in his 30s and you see the difference in the way that these men are treated based on opportunities that they've had in their life. I think that that, that is reflective of something that is, you know, very Australian. So let's look at some of the case studies. And the first one uh, is a TV show called East West 101. So for those who may not know what it is, can you tell us just briefly what the show is about and what what are some of the representations uh, that interested you? Great. So East West 101 is a it's a very kind of cop drama. So um, and Australia has done we do cop dramas. We like them very much. Um, so in this, the main detective is an Arab Muslim man. He's Iraqi Muslim, and he's really just trying to navigate his own personal life, but also life in the police force as a member of a minority group who is often demonized and also racialized. So um, we have in Australia what we call 
well, we've we've since abolished it, but at the time that this was done, we had a Middle Eastern organized crime squad. So this was a police squad that literally just looked at Middle Eastern crime. Um, and and we and we've done this for other communities as well. We have a we have a South Asian crime squad as well. But we really racialize particular kinds of crimes. And I think this particular show really speaks to the tensions around that issue. And the next set of um, case studies is two films. One is called The Combination from 2009, and the other is called Cedar Boys. Um, what, why those two films? And tell us a little bit about uh, some of the characters that you profiled. So they came uh, um, out in 2009, and both of those films were quite revolutionary in that this was the first time that we had seen working-class Arab men represented in Australian cinema. And... There, so one of, in the combination, we're looking at a young boy who, who becomes a drug dealer, effectively. He's, he's probably about 16, and he becomes a drug dealer because he wants more, more material kind of stuff. He wants to buy a car. He wants to be more independent. He enjoys the freedom that money gives him, and he realizes the fastest way to get that is to sell drugs. And I think that representation, even though it's negative, tells a really important story about the why young men find themselves in these circumstances. Um, you know, what other opportunities are available to these men, and how do we make those opportunities available to these men? And it raises some really important issues in that way. Um, Cedar Boys again, looks at a young man who's in his 20s and also becomes a drug dealer for the same reasons. So for him, it's very much about wanting, so he's a panel beater, but it's very much about wanting to be able to impress women who he sees as being, you know, upper middle class and knows that the only way that he can have access to this circle of people and to this circle of women is by having more money. And so he sees it as a very temporary thing. He has no intention of maintaining, you know, this lifestyle. He thinks that if he can sell drugs for a very short period of time, make some money, and then he can, you know, start his own business um, and, and really make a name for himself. But it, it all comes undone for him at the end, unfortunately. And we, you know, and I guess it's that that's the ramifications coming out, being able to see what the ramifications of those decisions are. Um, yeah, that's not. It's all again not a very positive representation, but it really does delve into the why young men choose to make these choices. Mm -hmm. So what do we know about the audiences for uh, the TV show and, and these couple of films? Um, so the assumption for these particular audiences is that they would so there are kind of some polarized assumptions. The assumptions are that um, the primary audience in Australia is always white and middle class, and therefore we're always trying to account for white middle class tastes, which is something that East West 101, I think, does quite well. Um, with Cedar Boys and the Combination, it was very much about – so the Combination in particular was very much about making – a film for what George Basher, who is the writer and producer on this, calls Our People. And by Our People, he, he himself is an Arab man. And so he talks about wanting a film that resonates with men, particularly young men in his community. And I think that in itself is quite powerful because, you know, we're, we're decentering the idea that we're always programming for white middle class taste. And we're actually saying, great, there are other audiences out here and people want to see themselves reflected on screen. And one of the things that's very great about the kind of work that he does, and one of the things that I find really interesting is that he wrote this film so that he could also create more roles for young Arab 
Arabic-speaking men because, uh, sorry, Arabic-speaking men, because when he was young and when he was trying to get into the film industry, he could only be cast as uh, you know, a, a drug dealer or a, you know, a, a criminal of some sort. And, and, and so even though the protagonist in here kind of goes through his own journey, there are lots of other roles available for young men to play. And I think that's one of the things that makes this very interesting is that you're saying, great, there is another audience out here that we can tap into. And also, and also it's finally recognition. I mean, I don't know if this is true in a commercial sense, but I think it's recognition that other people need to see themselves represented on the screen. And that's an important part of, you know, it's an important part of living in a healthy democracy, that people see themselves represented in all walks of life, that people feel included, that people feel they can participate. And arts, the arts generally, but screen culture in particular, is only one way that people, that people do this. And, and so that to me is, is one of the nicest things about this film. And even though I do, you know, go into why I think that these representations are probably I think the fact that we have um, or we're starting to build these representations of young Arabic speaking men is very important. And I hope that it is a stepping stone for much more, not just positive, but more nuanced, more complex representations of Arab men, because this is how people get their knowledge. They get it through popular culture because lots of people will not meet, um, you know, um, anyone from an Arabic speaking community or they might not meet a Muslim in if you're looking at the other case studies. But when they do see these representations on screen, they use this to be able to fill in whatever blanks they have in their knowledge. And so I think it's very important that we have that full spectrum of representation for all groups. Uh, last question, Mahal, before I let you go. Right. Uh, your, your book is part of the Islamic Studies series uh, within Melbourne University Publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the state of academics writing against these stereotypes as you see it? Um, so in in Australia, we have like, lots of academics who are actually quite active in this field. And I think that we have a role and a responsibility to make sure that we constantly question not, you know, not just necessarily in representation, but in all areas, how could we do these things better? Um, and I think that in Australia, we're very lucky because we, there is quite a large group of academics, both, you know, some at UTS, but also at Western Sydney University who do this very well. Um, and, and I think that constant probing, that constant asking, you know, does, is, is this kind of fitting into our broader notions, our broader understanding of social justice? Is this fair? Is it just? What are the consequences of this? Um, how, could this be made better? What kind of and, and and not just what could how could this be made better from a kind of cosmetic perspective, but structurally, what do we need to change in order to make sure that these representations are better? So I think constantly probing and asking those questions is the role of academics, and also a, a, you know one that people are doing quite well. I guess the challenge is, are we able to get that out there to other people to see that and to hear that um, and. And I want to think that the answer is yes, even if it is a little bit slow. (laughs) (laughs) Mahal, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. That's Mahal Kram. She's from the University of Technology, Sydney. Her new book is called Heroes, Villains, and the Muslim Exception, Muslim and Arab Men in Australian Crime Drama. It's published by Melbourne University Publishing in December 2017. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.